Good Sunday morning, and welcome to Forgiven, the weekly radio broadcast of Northeast Baptist Church of Danbury. We're happy that you tuned in today, and we hope you will find the program beneficial to you. Now, here's our pastor, Joe Bassett. Occasionally, we'll play some good Christian music on this broadcast. One of my favorite artists that we play is a singer and songwriter named Bruce Fry. Bruce Fry's story is a wonderful example of God's grace transforming a life. A while back, Bruce Fry was a guest at Northeast Baptist Church. On a Sunday morning, he shared his testimony with us. Today, I'd like to share his testimony with you. I believe it'll bless you like it blessed our church people. Here's Bruce Fry. Well, to God be the glory, I'm going to take you on a journey this morning. But when I was a little kid, my mom took us to Sunday school and church every Sunday, my brothers and I, and... And when I was 13 years old, my mother came to me and she said, Bruce, I believe you know the difference between right and wrong now. So I think it'd be a good thing for you to join the church. And I said, "Okay." So the preacher came by our house and we sat down and we talked. And I don't remember what we talked about. That next Sunday when I went to uh, church, I was sitting back in the back. They called my name. I went forward. I got baptized and joined the church. And so for years of my life, I thought that if something ever would happen to me, that I would go to heaven. But I was on my way straight to hell. If I prayed a prayer, it went from my head out of my mouth and never changed my life. And think about this. I was trusting in a prayer I don't remember saying to get me to heaven. I was trusting in a baptism and a church membership. But you know, a prayer didn't leave heaven and die on the cross. Jesus Christ did that. Baptism didn't leave heaven and die on the cross. Jesus Christ did that. Church membership didn't leave heaven and die on the cross. So my trust was misplaced. And for years, I was trusting in a prayer instead of the person that I was praying to. And so I never got saved, but always remembered and always believed in God. You know, the Bible says in James 2, 19, Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. And you can believe in God all your life and still die and go to hell. And that's where I was headed. And so I could always sing when I was a little kid. And then when I was in high school, I sang in rock and roll bands. And my dad... And mom gave me a guitar for my graduation. And after I graduated, I started playing around private parties and things like that. And then a guy heard me at a club and I started playing the clubs in my hometown. Then I moved to Raleigh, North Carolina, put a band together, got an independent uh, deal with uh, Tone King Records. And things were going great. I was making a lot of money. I was opening shows for some of the biggest rock and roll and country bands that came through Raleigh, North Carolina from around the country. And everything was going great, but no matter how big the crowds got or how much money I made, it was never enough. And you see, I wanted to be rich and famous. And the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. And I love money. I wanted to be famous, but I love money more than anything because I thought the more money I had, the happier I'd be. But the more money I, I kept getting, the worse my life would go. And so I told my band members one day, I said, look, guys, I said, I'd like to to go to Nashville, Tennessee and get a major record deal. I said, I know we got a good thing going here. I said, but I want more than that. I want a bus with my name on it. I want everybody in the world to know who I am. I had saved up thousands of dollars for this trip because I was going to go there because I wanted to be a superstar. 
And I was there from 1990 to 1997. I knocked on every door. I played every club. I kept my name in the papers. And during that time, everybody was patting me on the back saying, Bruce, you're next in line to get a record deal. Everybody was telling me that except for the record label people. And I was getting discouraged because here I was, 43 years old. I opened up my checkbook one day. I had $43 left in it. And I mean, I was tired. I was discouraged. And I didn't know if I was ever going to get a record deal. And then I was playing a club one night and a management company came up to me and they said, Bruce, we, we like what we heard tonight. We think we can help you get a record deal. And I said, well, buddy, I need some help. I can tell you that. And they said, well, the first thing you need to do is you need to record four songs and it's going to cost $12,000. I called my mother back in Aberdeen, North Carolina. She worked at a bank and I said, Mom, I need to borrow $12,000. Can you help me? She said, yeah, you have to pay it back. And I said, yes, ma'am, I know that. Now, I didn't tell my mother I only had $43 in my checking account. I didn't tell her that I was in credit, guard, credit card debt up to my eyeballs, thousands and thousands of dollars in debt already. Because my career, things just weren't going real well, and I'd spent every dime that I had over those seven years that I was there. And so I borrowed that $12,000. We did the four songs, and the producer that did them, he said, Bruce, he said, I'm going to try to help you. He said, I know a lot of people in town, so I'm going to take this around and just share it. And he said, you don't have to pay me anything. He said, I just want to help you, son. And I said, I appreciate that. He called me about a week later and he said, Bruce, they like it and they want to hear you do a showcase. Now, when you do a showcase, you rent a building and you, the lights, the sound. And the way I did them, I would cater them. I'd give them free food, free drinks. And I'd even bring flowers into the bar to make it look good during the day. I'm thinking in my mind, if I don't get this record deal now, I'm done. But then I thought, how, where am I going to get the money to do a showcase? See, I had a Harley Davidson motorcycle. I had all these guitars. I had all this music equipment. And little by little, I was selling all that stuff, just trying to keep my head above water. And here I was. I just borrowed $12,000. Now, where am I going to get the money to do this showcase? Then I remembered I had a comic book collection in my closet. Spider-Man number one, all the way to 300 and something, Fantastic Four, Thor, all these Marvel comics that are on the movies right now. I had all of them in boxes wrapped in cellophane and stuff. Man, I had a wonderful collection. And I said, well, as much as I love these things, I need some money. I need it quick. So I took it down to this place and that sold those kind of books. And I told the guy, I said, how much will you give me for my whole collection? And he said, Bruce, if you hold on to these, they'll be worth a lot of money one day. And I said, I know that, but I need some cash. I need it quick. He said, well, the best I could do would be $4,500. I said, I'll take it. And I took that $4,500 to do this one last showcase. And just a year ago, I heard that somebody got a million dollars for Spider-Man number one. <clears throat> He's getting choked up when I tell that part up there. <laughs> that doesn't matter anymore, though. So I took this money to do this last showcase. And in my mind, I'm thinking, if I don't get it now, I'm going to live the rest of my life playing in honky-tonks. I'm going to die an old man in these old beer joints. And, and that night, or that afternoon, I had a packed house. I did a 30-minute show, you know, sang as hard as I could, entertained as best as I could. And after it was over, you know, I did the meet and greet thing and everybody got to eat and drink whatever they wanted. And then I stood at the door and as everybody walked out, I shook their hand and I thanked them for coming. And the record executives and people grabbed me by the hand and this was what several of them said, Bruce, you're a good singer, you're a good songwriter, you had good stage presence, but you're just not what we're looking for right now. And it crushed me. I went back to my apartment that night and I fell on my knees beside my bed because I always believed in God in my head. And I remember looking up and I said, God, I thought you gave me this talent so I could be a star. I said, if that's not it, why am I here? What's my purpose for living? And my next breath, I said, God, I'm so broke. 
Looking at it on paper, I don't even see how I could ever get out of debt. Could you help me with that? Just so I could think, because I can't even think. And I just cried out to God. You know, the Bible says that God doesn't hear the prayers of the wicked. But a broken and a contrite heart, oh God, thou wilt not despise. And my heart was broken and crushed that night as I cried out to him and asked him for help. And that next day I woke up and I went and bought a Bible. I started reading that Bible. And the more I read the Bible, the more the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God started coming in my life. You see, I, I got out a piece of paper and I said, I'm going to quit cussing. I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to quit partying. I'm going to quit doing all these bad things. Because I thought if I could just clean myself up, then I could win favor with God, get a record deal, go to heaven, have a wonderful life. But I was trying to work my way to God. And the Bible says in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I was such a cocky rooster back in those days. If I could have worked my way to heaven, I'd have bragged about it when I got there because I was full of me. Now, all this was going on and I'd prayed. And a week later, I got a check in the mail from ASCAP Corporation. Now, ASCAP is a company that I signed up with when I first moved to Nashville. If you're going to get royalties from television or radio, you have to be with either ASCAP, CSAC or BMI or a company like that. But I got a check in the mail and it came from Denmark and Canada for $181.11. Because I was on the Matlock television show in the early 90s. Uh, I, you know, did the show. They paid me to do the show. I never expected any more money from it. But I had sang two of my songs on there. And so when I got that check, the first thing it did for me, I said, there is a God. And he heard my plea. And I took that check down to the ASCAP Corporation and I said, ma'am, I got this check from Denmark and Canada. And I did the Matlock television show back in Wilmington, North Carolina. And I said, it just doesn't make any sense. Can you explain that to me? And she said, let me ask you a question, Bruce. She said, are you a member with us? And I said, yep. Signed up in 1990. And she said, well, let me ask you a second question. She said, are your songs published and copywritten? I said, no, ma'am. And she said, we don't owe you a dime. I said, why did I get that check? She said, I have no idea. And right then, I said, God sent me that check. She punched some numbers in the computer and she said, oh, wow. She said, Bruce, there's a lot of money in here for you, but you can't touch it. I said, why not? <laughs> and she said, because you don't have your paperwork in order. She helped me start my own publishing company, got all my stuff, all my paperwork in order. And she said, now we'll submit this, Bruce. She said, you will get some money. I just don't know how much. In January of 1998, I got a check in the mail from ASCAP Corporation for thousands of dollars. They went all the way back to the first time they aired that show and paid me up to that date. And it was incredible. But when I got that check, I remember, first thing I did, I called my mama and told her, and she cried with me over the phone. I was so excited. But then after I hung up with her, I looked up to heaven and I said, God, I should be the happiest man in the world. Why am I still so miserable? God had taken my love for money away from me. It didn't mean anything to me anymore. And I remembered that my brother was a Christian and I called him on the phone. And I said, Sammy, I said, my career's not doing too good and really having a hard time. And just thought I'd give you a call, let you know that. And he said, man, I'm glad you called, Bruce. And he prayed with me over the phone. And in the next few days, I, I got a letter in the mail from my brother. He said, Bruce, this is a hug from North Carolina to Tennessee to tell you that I love you, but I don't love you like God loves you. And he shared the gospel in there and he put some little chick gospel tracks and comic book tracks in there because he knew I was a comic book kid. And so I was reading that letter and reading my Bible and reading those chick tracks. And 
just still trying to get my record deal. And But one night, I had a pity party. You ever had a pity party before? You don't invite anybody. You just go by yourself. And that night, I, I went to the club that uh, where this picture was taken. And I was sitting at the end of the bar. And I was just, you know, my career was at a low. And I was trying to figure all this stuff out about the Bible and heaven and hell and all of that. And I was just sitting at the end of the bar, drowning in my misery, if you will. And But all of a sudden, the door opened up. And Hank Williams Jr. walked through the door. Now, if you don't know who he is, he's an old country singer. Uh, his dad was a singer years ago, and then Hank Jr., of course. But when Hank walked through the door, my first thought was, how can I use him to get my record deal? So I jumped up off the bar stool, going to make a beeline towards him. But the guy that had the house band there grabbed me by the arm, and he said, hey, Bruce, will you get up here and sing so I can go hang out with Hank? My first thought was, no, you do your job. I'll go hang out with Hank. You know? But they had let me sing there so much, I felt obligated. And I said, all right. So I grabbed the guitar, got on stage, and he and Hank went and sat down. The guys in the band said, well, Bruce, what song would you like to sing? And I said, well, I said, Hank's here. I said, let's do one of his songs. I said, but I don't like the way he does it. I'm going to speed it up a little bit. I want to change the tempo. And they said, well, he might not like that. And I said, well, he's right over there. If you don't like it, he can come tell me. And so we sang the song, did it too fast. And the next thing I saw was this living legend, if you will, Hank Williams Jr. standing in front of me, shaking his head, saying, boys, that's way too fast. All the guys in the band said, we tried to tell him, Hank, he wouldn't listen to us. And I looked down at him. I said, Hank, that's just the way I do it. He said, well, let me show you how I do it. So he got on the stage. We did the song over and then we went back and forth and did a few together. And then he looked at me and he said, Bruce, you mind if I sing one by myself? And I said, no, sir. So I walked off the stage and he started singing a song. And halfway through it, he started crying so hard he couldn't continue. And I'm looking at this man who had everything I dreamed about since I was a little boy. He was rich. He was famous. He had a bus. Number one hit records. All of that. And I saw how miserable he was. And God showed me right there, Bruce, you can have all of this and you're still going to be miserable. What shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? Amen. And Hank, finally, he just put his hands up. He said, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't sing anymore. And he walked off the stage and I'm standing there. I mean, you could have heard a pin drop in there. Everybody was like, what do we do? And he put his arm around me and he looked at me and he said, Bruce, you know what I'm talking about, don't you, boy? And I looked at him. and You know, I was lost. It didn't bother me to a lot of people. I said, sure, Hank. I had no idea what he was talking about. And we went and sat down at the bar, and I was trying to tell him some songs that I'd written, thinking maybe he would record one and give me a record deal. But the whole time I talked to him, I watched the tears stream down his face. And God didn't let me forget that. When all of this was going on, my brother who got saved back in 1977 in Sweetwater, Texas, I didn't know this, but for 21 years he'd been going in a barn behind his house and up in the top of that barn, that was his prayer closet. And he had been praying for me to get saved for 21 years. And not only was he praying for me to get saved, he was also praying that I would not get a record deal in Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> While all this was going on, the owner of this club on January the 21st of 1998 was on his way to work at 430 in the afternoon. And two men jumped him and killed him. He was 80 years old. He only had $40 on him. And it broke my heart. I remember going to his funeral and a Catholic priest was performing the ceremony at a graveside service. And he said, well, our friend was not a religious man. He was not a church going man, but he was a very nice man. He had a good heart and he did a lot of good things for people. But I had been reading the word of God where it says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. 
You keep reading the verse 12, it says, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. And that doesn't mean that you can't do good deeds and be nice to people. It means your goodness will never get you to God. That's why you need His goodness, His righteousness applied to your life. And he talked about Him having a good heart. And then I read in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And at the end of that service, everybody got in a line and walked by and threw a shovel full of dirt into the grave and... I had never done that before, never seen it done, but I just didn't, didn't want to be an oddball, so I just got in line. But I remember when my shovel full of dirt went in that hole, I said, oh, man, I wonder where I'm going when I die. I said, I'm not keeping my list up good enough, because some days I wouldn't cuss, and some days I would, and it was back and forth I was going. So I said, man, I need to work on my list a little bit, thinking that I could keep that list and get to heaven, which is work, salvation, which never works. And so my band members and I went to... Wintergreen, Virginia, at the end of February. And I did really good all week long. And a friend of mine was getting married in Raleigh on Saturday, so I had to get up early Saturday morning and drive three and a half hours to Raleigh to sing one song in his wedding. Then I was going to drive three and a half hours back to do my last night in Wintergreen. And after I got through singing that song and the wedding was over, I was packing up my guitar, getting ready to leave. And the preacher that performed that wedding walked up to me and he said, Bruce, I enjoyed your singing. Can I ask you a question, son? I said, yes, sir. He said, have you ever been born again? Have you ever been saved? And the tears started flowing down my eyes. And I said, no, sir. I said, I thought I did when I was 13 years old, but I've been reading the Bible and no, sir, I'm not saved. I said, but I'm doing the best I can. So Bruce, you can do the best you can and die and go to hell. God sent his best for you. And he shared the gospel with me. He was a musician. God had saved and started a church in Delaware. And so I left and went back to Wintergreen three and a half hours thinking about everything that preacher had said to me. I was thinking about the letter my brother had written, all these things. But, you know, I had to do my last night there. When I got there, my band members gathered around me. They said, Bruce, you've been here with us all week and you're not partying with us. Don't you love us anymore? And I said, yeah, I love you guys, but I'm trying to change my life. <clears throat> they said, well, you could have one drink with us to celebrate our last night, couldn't you? And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll have one beer, but that's it. Don't ask me to have any more. And they said, okay. So I had one, then I had another, then I had another. And the next thing you know, I was right back in the middle of the muck and mire I was trying to get out of. And that Sunday morning, I woke up and I felt so bad about what I'd done the night before. I looked up to heaven and I said, God, I don't want to do this anymore, but I can't quit. Help me, God. For the first time in his life, cocky Rooster Bruce realizing he needed help from God. Amen. My brother had invited me to come in here and preach that night. So I got all my band members, woke them up, and I said, get your stuff together. I said, i got to get out of here. I drove them three and a half hours to Raleigh, then drove another hour to my brother's church that night. And when I, when I walked in, they were standing up singing a song. So I slipped in the back, hoping nobody would see me. My brother didn't know I was there. After he got through preaching, he said, if you're not sure that heaven's your home, he said, we're going to have an invitation. And he said, why don't you just slip out of your seat and come down here and we'll open the Bible. Show you how you can be saved. I remember as the invitation started, I was weeping, I was crying, I was shaking. I was under deep conviction. I never even heard that word. And I wanted to go down the aisle, but my pride kept me back there that night. Then my brother left the pulpit area and walked down front. And he said, look, he said, I know it's late, it's time to go home. But I believe there's somebody here who needs Christ. He said, we're going to extend this invitation. It was the longest invitation I've ever been through in my life. I didn't think it was ever going to stop. And finally, he realized nobody was coming forward that night. So he said, before you leave, if you're not sure heaven's your home, would you at least raise your hand so I could pray for you? And my hand shot up in the back of that church. 
And my brother said, I see your hand. I'm going to pray for you. So he didn't know it was me and he prayed for me. And I ran out of the back of the church and I went back to my mom and dad's house to spend a night that night. And I cried from my brother's church all the way to their house, 15 miles. I went back into the bedroom where I grew up as a little boy and cried myself to sleep. Woke up that next day getting ready to head back to Nashville. My brother Sammy called me on the phone. He said, Bruce, can I buy you lunch before you leave? And I said, okay. Went to a place called John's Barbecue and I sat down. We ordered the food and my brother started talking to me. As soon as he started talking to me, the tears started flowing again. The food came. I was so shook up I couldn't even eat. I finally told my brother, I said, Sammy, I'm embarrassed. Everybody's staring at me. I said, can we go outside? And we went and sat down in his car. He opened up the Word of God. He said, Bruce, the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Are you a sinner? And I said, yes, Sammy, I know that. He said, well, the Bible says also because you're a sinner, you deserve to go to hell. Because the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. He said, do you understand that? And I said, not completely. It was explained to me like this. If you work a job and you get paid wages, you deserve those wages because you do the work. God says we deserve hell because we do the sin. But the verse doesn't end there. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he showed me Romans 5, 8. He said, Bruce, you should have been on the cross and I should have been on the cross, but Jesus took our place. Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth his love or demonstrated or showed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Then he showed me Romans 10, 9 and 10. That thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Then he showed me Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. He said, would you like to call on God right here, right now, and trust Him as your Savior and Lord? I said, no, Sammy, not right now. He said, okay. And he prayed for me, and I drove back to uh, Nashville, Tennessee, nine hours. And a week later in my apartment, I just came to a point where I was so tired, and so, so I had this weight on me. I couldn't figure out what it was, and... That night I had rented a movie and I looked up to heaven and I said, God, I don't mean to be irreverent, but I don't want to think about you tonight. I don't want to think about the Bible. I don't want to think about heaven. I don't want to think about hell. I feel like I'm about to explode. I just need to relax and rest my brain. And I put that movie in and watched it. And there was a character in that movie that did all these wonderful things for people. But at the end of that movie, he died. And I sat there and stared at that television until the video stopped playing and my screen went blue and I just started weeping harder than I've ever wept in my life. Because I saw, you know, I said, you know, if that had been a real person, he wouldn't be going to heaven. There was nothing in there about him trusting Jesus Christ as his Savior. Oh, yeah, he did a lot of wonderful things for people, but that's not going to get you there. And I just started weeping because I knew that was me and that's what I was trying to do. And I finally made it my, all the way to my bedroom and I fell on my knees beside my bed and I looked up to heaven and I said, God, I don't understand it all, but I'm miserable. I need you in my life. I'm sorry for everything I've ever done. And I don't even remember everything I said. But at that moment, I felt like the Atlas man in the world rolled off my back. I didn't know what it was then, but I know now it's the peace of God which passeth all understanding. As far as the east is from the west, he removed my transgressions from me to remember them no more behind his back to the depths of the sea. I looked at the clock and it said 12.30 and I reached over and wrote down on a piece of paper I gave my life to Jesus Christ at 12.30 because I didn't want to forget it. And then my next breath I looked up and I said, God, from this day forward I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. I got saved and surrendered. Crawled into the bed, 43 years old, and 
balled up in a little ball, still weeping. And I looked up and I said, God, I hope I said all the right words to you. And I know now it's not the words you say that save you. But the intent of your heart as you pray. Because salvation is from your heart to God's ear. Only God can see your heart. As a 13-year-old boy, from my head out of my mouth, nothing happened. But 43 years old in repentance and faith, from my heart to His ear, God changed my life. And that's my story. I want to play you a song that I wrote after I got saved, and then we'll have an invitation. I called my brother Sammy on the phone to tell him what I'd done, and he said he had a Baptocostal fit. He ran around the house, jumped, yelled, and screamed, <laughs> fell on his face and cried, and thanked God his brother was saved and on the way to heaven with him. And a couple of weeks later, I went home to North Carolina and my brother and his family took me out and bought me a steak dinner and a birthday cake. And I was getting ready to blow that candle out to celebrate my born-again birthday. And I looked across the table and I said, Sammy, a couple Sunday nights ago, do you remember extending the invitation? And I told him about that night that I was back there. And he said, Boy, he said, Bruce, I'll never forget that night. I said, Sammy, that was me back there that raised the hand. He said, you got to be kidding me. God was so good to give me another week to live where I could bow my knee and my head and my heart and trust Him as my Savior. A young man, a bottle in his hand. Not too long ago, that was me. Every night, Saturday night, dim motel light. Not too long ago, that was me. And that was me who had strayed, confused and afraid, counting all the cost. That was me. Kneeling in his bedside, tears flowing from his eyes. Not too long ago, that was me. Jesus Christ led him in, giving all his sin. Not too long ago, that was me. And that was me who had strayed, confused and afraid. Counting all the cost, that was me. A friend approached and said, I heard you found the Lord. I replied, He was a lost, that was me. My Savior was a lost, that was me. Would you bow your head and close your eyes for just one moment, please? The people of Northeast Baptist Church thank you for spending a few minutes with us this morning. We appreciate your time, and we hope that you enjoyed the Forgiven broadcast. If you'd like to contact us with a comment or a prayer need, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at forgiven at nbcdanbury.org. Or you can call the church office at 203-798-7088. 
we invite you to join our live stream service this morning at 11. You can watch it at nbcdanbury.org, on our Northeast Baptist Church Facebook page, or on our YouTube channel. If you enjoyed the radio broadcast, you'll love our church services. We'll see you again next Sunday morning at 7. God bless you, and have a great week. I am the child, I stand here for you. My sins have